chapters seventeen and eighteen of biography of an american bondman by his daughter by josephine brown this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter seventeen aaron my country or the swelling wave join in the cry ask freedom for the slave natives of a land of glory daughters of the good and brave hear the injured negro's story hear and help the kneeling slave from liverpool mr brown went to dublin where he was warmly greeted by the webbs houghtons allens and others of the slave's friends in ireland her britannic majesty visiting her irish subjects at that time the fugitive had an opportunity of witnessing royalty in all its magnificence and regal splendor the land of burke sheridan and o'connell would not permit the american to leave without giving him a public welcome a large and enthusiastic meeting held in the rotunda and presided over by james houghton esq gave mr brown the first reception which he had in the old world after a sojourn of twenty days in the emerald isle the fugitive started for the peace congress which was to assemble at paris the peace congress and especially the french who were in attendance at the great meeting most of whom had never seen a colored person were somewhat taken by surprise on the last day when mr brown made a speech his reception said la presse was most flattering he admirably sustained his reputation as a public speaker his address produced a profound sensation at its conclusion the speaker was warmly greeted by victor hugo president of the congress richard cobden esq and other distinguished men on the platform at the soiree given by m de tocqueville the minister for foreign affairs the american slave was received with marked attention more than thirty of the english delegates at the congress gave mr brown invitations to visit their towns on his return to england and lecture on american slavery having spent a fortnight in paris and vicinity viewing the sights he returned to london george thompson esq was among the first to meet the fugitive on his arrival at the english metropolis a few days after a very large meeting held in the spacious music-hall bedford square and presided over by sir francis knowles bart welcomed mr brown to england many of britain's distinguished public speakers spoke on the occasion george thompson made one of his most brilliant efforts this flattering reception gained for the fugitive pressing invitations from nearly all parts of the united kingdom at the city of worcester his honor the mayor presided over the meeting and introduced mr brown as the honorable gentleman from america in the city of norwich the meeting was held in st andrew's hall one of the oldest and most venerated buildings in the kingdom and the chairman on the occasion was john henry gurney esq the distinguished banker and son of the late joseph john gurney at newcastle on tyne two meetings were held his honour the mayor presided over one and sir john fife over the other here the friends of freedom gave mr brown a public soiree at which eight hundred sat down to tea after tea was over the mayor arose and on behalf of the meeting presented to mr brown a purse containing twenty sovereigns accompanied with the following address 
this purse containing twenty sovereigns is presented to william wells brown by the following ladies and some other friends of the slave in newcastle as a token of their high esteem for his character and admiration of his zeal in advocating the claims of three millions of his brethren and sisters in bonds in the southern states of america they also expressed their sincere wish that his life may be long spared to pursue his valuable labors that success may soon crown his efforts and those of his fellow abolitionists on both sides of the atlantic and his heart be gladdened by the arrival of the happy period when the last shackle shall be broken which binds the limbs of the last slave at glasgow four thousand persons attended the meeting at the city hall which was presided over by alexander hasty esq m p meetings given to welcome mr brown were also held at edinburgh perth dundee aberdeen and nearly every city or town in the kingdom at sheffield james montgomery the poet attended the meeting and invited the fugitive to visit him at his residence the following day mr brown went by invitation to visit the silver electroplate manufactory of messrs broadhead and atkins while going through the premises a subscription was set on foot by the workmen and on the fugitives entering the counting-room the purse was presented to him by the designer who said that the donors gave it as a token of their esteem for mr brown at bolton a splendid soiree was given to him and the following address presented dear friend and brother we cannot permit you to depart from among us without giving expression to the feelings which we entertain towards yourself personally and to the sympathy which you have awakened in our breasts for the three millions of our sisters and brothers who still suffer and groan in the prison-house of american bondage you came among us an entire stranger we received you for the sake of your mission and having heard the story of your personal wrongs and gazed with horror on the atrocities of slavery as seen through the medium of your touching descriptions we are resolved henceforward in reliance on divine assistance to render what aid we can to the cause which you have so eloquently pleaded in our presence we have no words to express our detestation of the crimes which in the name of liberty are committed in the country which gave you birth language fails to tell our deep abhorrence of the impiety of those who in the still more sacred name of religion rob immortal beings not only of an earthly citizenship but do much to prevent them from obtaining a heavenly one and as mothers and daughters we embrace this opportunity of giving utterance to our utmost indignation at the cruelties perpetuated upon our sex by a people professedly acknowledging the equality of all mankind carry with you on your return to the land of your nativity this our solemn protest against the wicked institution which like a dark and baleful cloud hangs over it and ask the unfeeling enslavers as best you can to open the prison doors to them that are bound and let the oppressed go free allow us to assure you that your brief sojourn in our town has been to ourselves and to vast multitudes of a character long to be remembered and when you are far removed from us and toiling as we hope you may long be spared to do in this righteous enterprise it may be some solace to your mind to know that your name is cherished with affectionate regard and that the blessing of the most high is earnestly supplicated in behalf of yourself and family and the cause to which you have consecrated your distinguished talents signed by two hundred ladies 
in the spring of eighteen fifty mr brown was publicly welcomed at a large meeting held in the broadmead rooms at bristol and presided over by the late john b estlin esq one of the most liberal-minded and philanthropic men of any country a man who never appeared better satisfied than when doing good for others and whose loss has been so universally lamented by the genuine friends of freedom in both hemispheres but should we undertake to give a detailed account of the various meetings called to receive the american fugitive slave it would occupy more space than we can think of giving in this volume End of chapter seventeen chapter eighteen tis a glorious thing to send abroad a soul as free as air to throw aside the shackles which sectarian bondmen wear the following extract from mr brown's sketches of places and people abroad will show that all was not sunshine with him while in europe it was not the first time that forgetfulness for himself and a desire to add to the comfort of others placed him in an unpleasant position the incident related below occurred during the first three months of the fugitive's sojourn in england having published the narrative of my life and escape from slavery and put it into the bookseller's hands and seeing a prospect of a fair sale i ventured to take from my purse the last sovereign to make up a small sum to remit to the united states for the support of my daughters who were at school there before doing this however i had made arrangements to attend a public meeting in the city of worcester at which the mayor was to preside being informed by the friends of the slave there that i would in all probability sell a number of copies of my book and being told that worcester was only ten miles from london i felt safe in parting with all but a few shillings feeling sure that my purse would soon be again replenished but you may guess my surprise when i learned that worcester was above a hundred miles from london and that i had not retained money enough to defray my expenses there in my haste and wish to make up ten pounds to send to my children i had forgotten that the payment for my lodgings would be demanded before i left town saturday morning came i paid my lodging bill and had three shillings and fourpence left out of this sum i was to get three dinners as i was only served with breakfast and tea at my lodgings nowhere in the british empire do the people witness such dark days as in london it was on monday morning in the fore part of october as the clock on st martin's church was striking ten that i left my lodgings and turned into the strand the street lamps were all burning and the shop lamps were all lighted as if day had not made its appearance this great thoroughfare as usual at this time of the day was thronged with businessmen going their way and women sauntering about for pleasure or for want of something to do i passed down the strand to charing cross and looked in vain to see the majestic statue of nelson upon the top of the great shaft the clock on st martin's church struck eleven but my sight could not penetrate through the dark veil that hung between its face and me in fact day had been completely turned into night and the brilliant lights from the shop windows almost persuaded me that another day had not appeared a london fog cannot be described to be appreciated it must be seen or rather felt for it is altogether impossible to be clear and lucid on such a subject it is the only thing which can give you an idea of what milton meant when he talked of darkness visible there is a kind of light to be sure but it only serves as a medium for a series of optical illusions and for all useful purposes of vision the deepest darkness that ever fell from the heavens is infinitely preferable 
a man perceives a coach a dozen yards off and a single stride brings him under the horse's feet he sees a gaslight faintly glimmering as he thinks at a distance but scarcely has he advanced a step or two towards it when he becomes convinced of its actual station by finding his head rattling against the post and as for attempting if you once get mystified to distinguish one street from another it is ridiculous to think of such a thing turning i retraced my steps and was soon passing through the massive gates of temple bar wending my way to the city when a beggar boy at my heels accosted me for a halfpenny to buy bread i had scarcely served the boy when i observed near by and standing close to a lamp-post a coloured man and from his general appearance i was satisfied that he was an american he eyed me as attentively as i passed him and seemed anxious to speak when i had got some distance from him his eyes were still upon me no longer able to resist the temptation to speak to him i returned and commencing conversation with him learned a little of his history which was as follows he had he said escaped from slavery in maryland and reached new york but not feeling himself secure there he had through the kindness of the captain of an english ship made his way to liverpool and not being able to get employment there he had come up to london here he had met with no better success and having been employed in the growing of tobacco and being unaccustomed to any other kind of work he could not get labour in england i told him he had better try to get to the west indies but he informed me that he had not a single penny and that he had had nothing to eat that day by this man's story i was moved to tears and going to a neighbouring shop i took from my purse my last shilling changed it and gave this poor fugitive one half the poor man burst into tears and exclaimed you are the first friend i have met in london i bade him farewell and left him with a feeling of regret that i could not place him beyond the reach of want i went on my way to the city and while going through cheapside a streak of light appeared in the east that reminded me that it was not night in vain i wandered from street to street with the hope that i might meet some one who would lend me money enough to get to worcester hungry and fatigued i was returning to my lodgings when the great clock on st paul's cathedral under whose shadow i was then passing struck four a stroll through fleet treat in the strand and i was again pacing my room on my return i found a letter from worcester had arrived during my absence informing that a party of gentlemen would meet me the next day on reaching the place and saying bring plenty of books as you will doubtless sell a large number the last sixpence had been spent for postage stamps in order to send off some letters to other places and i could not even stamp a letter in answer to the last one from worcester the only vestige of money about me was a smooth farthing that a little girl had given me at a meeting in croydon saying this is for the slaves i was three thousand miles from home with but a single farthing in my pocket where on earth could a man be more destitute for the want of money than in the great metropolis the cold hills of the arctic regions have not a more inhospitable appearance than london to the stranger with an empty pocket but whilst i felt depressed at being in such a sad condition i was conscious that i had done right in remitting the last ten pounds to america for the support of those whom god had committed to my care i had no friend in london to whom i could apply for aid my friend mr t was out of town and i did not know his address the dark day was rapidly passing away the clock in the hall had struck six i had given up all hopes of reaching worcester the next day and had just rung the bell for the servant to bring me some tea when a gentle tap at the door was heard the servant entered and informed me that a gentleman below wished to see me i bade her fetch a light and ask him up the stranger was my young friend frederick stevenson son of the excellent minister of the borough road chapel 
i lectured in this chapel a few days previous and this young gentleman with more than ordinary zeal and enthusiasm for the cause of bleeding humanity and respect for me had gone among his father's congregation and sold a number of copies of my book and had come to bring me the money i wiped the silent tears from my eyes as the young man placed the thirteen half-crowns in my hand i did not let him know under what obligation i was to him for this disinterested act of kindness like the man who called for bread and cheese when feeling in his pocket for the last threepence with which to pay for it found a sovereign that he was not aware he possessed countermanded the order for lunch and told them to bring him the best dinner they could get so i told the servant when she brought up tea that i had changed my mind and should go out to dine with the means in my pocket of reaching worsted the next day i sat down to dinner at the adelphi with a good cut of roast beef before me and felt myself once more at home thus ended a dark day in london End of chapter eighteen